Well, we've been talking about the mind of Christ. In a previous study, I talked about the renewing of the mind uh, using an expression uh, from Jesus Christ who spoke of all of our mind. And, and we talked about how the mind was darkened by sin. There was a limited understanding. The way Adam was thinking in the, in the Garden of Eden after he had sinned was different. He constructed his thoughts, his mental sequencing of thought. It, it was changed. And, and then we talked about how there is, there is the mind of Christ, and we have that, but we should let it, uh, you know, be in us rather than choosing that darkened mindset. And so uh, today we're going to continue. We talked about also how the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain, you know, all these different parts of the brain are, are, are renewed by the help of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to set the contrast from Scripture. The Bible talks about a number of different mindsets. The first one I want to introduce to you is the earthly mindset. Uh, this is sometimes called the earthy or the earthly. This is a mindset uh, that could be in the life of a believer. It's a mindset where you can believe in God. You can say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But, but you give little or no room for God to speak or to act or to be involved. And so let's look at the scripture right now. In, in Matthew 16, you have an example of this. It says there in verse 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must suffer many things and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside. Imagine that. Jesus is teaching something so crucially important. And now it says Simon Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine the pride, the arrogance, rebuking Jesus. And he said, far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. So somehow what Simon Peter was expressing here was right down devilish. He says, You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful. The, 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 way, the way you think, Simon Peter, is not of the things of God, but the things of men. And Jesus said, This is offensive. Here's Simon Peter, well-intentioned. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. We could certainly say that Simon Peter, you know, had received a lot of teaching, but he's locked into this mindset of fear and insecurity, this mindset of everything is going to happen the way I figured it out in my mind. He just sees the natural circumstances. So when Jesus begins to introduce revelation, and say, there's a much deeper purpose here. I, the Son of Man must suffer, must die and, and rise again. You know, he says, well, that's not a part of how I saw it happening. James addresses this. He says in, and it's a very humanistic thinking, and James addresses it. He says, this wisdom, this humanistic thinking, this, uh, th this way of, of, of reaching conclusion, this earthly mindset descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And, and, and so this is a, 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 a mindset that locks you in to simply thinking worldly. 
can't see that God is involved in anything. This affects us. People say, well, I, I, I can't see myself getting involved. I can't see myself uh, becoming a person that is a, who is a channel uh, for, for the release of, of energy and, and, and giving and finances and planning. I don't see myself like that. It's like the, the way it's always been. That's how I see myself. I, I say there's actually two kinds of atheists. Well, we know the one kind of atheist. I call that the philosophical atheist. It's the one who, who's come to some conclusion that, that, you know, God doesn't exist. That's one kind of atheist. And, and, and they, when I talk to atheists like that and, 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 and they want to have a conversation with me, I ask them, describe to me the God that you don't believe exists. And when they describe uh, the God, the view of God they have, I usually say, well, I don't believe in that God either because it is a God so far from Jesus Christ. And so we, we know that God is just like Jesus Christ. But, that, but that's one kind of atheist. Now, there's another kind of atheist. I, I, I suppose we could call this a person who is very secular in their approach. This is a person we would say that they are an atheist, not philosophically. Oh, I believe God. I believe in God. I believe in God. But in the day-to-day -day life, it's just like God wasn't there. Uh, you know, the word secular means God's not there. It, 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 there's no expectation that, that God would do anything outside of our mindset. This is what Simon Peter is exhibiting. He says, well, I, I have it all figured out. This is the way it's going to happen. And when Jesus says, oh, there's something a lot bigger going on here, a lot bigger, but he, he can't comprehend it. He says, Jesus, I need to rebuke you now. And you see, I believe this earthy, this worldly mindset is something to really watch for today. You know, we have, and, and you're watching this now, and maybe years from now people will listen to this. Well, I'm, I'm speaking of this as we are coming, hopefully, towards the end of this pandemic. And, and, and even this has been a great temptation. I mean, I, people ask me what I think about vaccine, and I, I say, well, you know, just do whatever your heart tells you to do. But, but uh, so, so I'm not having any great statement of that. Some preachers do, and I, I wish they wouldn't. But anyhow, uh, but, I, but I do notice this, this mindset, this earthly thinking creeping in. It's almost like God so loved the world that he sent a vaccine. God so loved the world that he sent medical experts. Now, we respect people who sincerely try to convey information, but I tell you, it's very easy to forget that Jesus Christ is a healer, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is still Jehovah Rophe, the Lord, my healer. And so I, I want to encourage you, and, and maybe this isn't just related to a pandemic. It could be many circumstances in life. I encourage you, we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ sees that God speaks, God acts, God is involved today. Let me hurry here. It's another kind of mindset. It is a carnal mindset. This is a mindset that has to do with uh, our, our pursuit of God, but this is the mindset that sees only our own effort, very self-centered, self-seeking, self-smug, if you wish. And, and so let's, let's read about this. Those who live 
according to their, fle to their flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh, set their thinking. But to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's what I put here on the screen behind me. To be spiritually minded, to have the mind of Christ is life and peace. Maybe you say, I, I feel like there's so much death around me. Uh, there's so much confusion. There's so much fear. So the key to overcome that is the mind of Christ, to be spiritually minded. Uh, now, the word carnal, fleshly, you know, we hear that expression, of course, is found much in the New Testament teaching, and it certainly can mean envy, it can mean lusts, sexual sins, covetousness, all of that. You know, I, I understand that, but I suggest that in this passage here in Romans chapter 8, if you take it in its context, it, it, it is really talking about a self-reliance in our approach to God. Uh, you know, in, in, in Romans chapter 7, it talks about being married to a religious system. And, and that system is carnal. That is a system that says, how much can I do? How much can I pray? How much can I read the Bible? How much, how much dedication can I put forth? And it relies on that. The Bible calls it the arm of the flesh. In other words, what I can do. This is how, how I can impress God. So, so Romans 7 talks about how we can be married to that versus being, uh, and it's using an illustration. It's not talking about a marriage as we know it, but, but it's talking about being married, being joined together with Jesus Christ and what he's done. Look, look at how Romans 1, uh, chapter 7, verse 1 starts out where Paul is teaching about this. And then we see that expression about being carnally minded versus spiritually minded in the light of the context. He says, I'm speaking to those who know the law, those of you who know the religious system, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the, and then he, then he compares marriage here. He uses an illustration. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law. So the illustration here is what happens when a husband dies. Now, we don't wish for any husband to die, but this is the illustration Paul is using. Then he says in verse 4, you also. So, so, the, so the husband who died is a picture of us. You also were put to death in regard to the law. That's in, in, in regard to the, to the religious system with all its prescriptions of rituals and requirements and ceremonial um, demands. He says, you, you, you died to that through the body of Christ. So when Christ's body died on the cross, you died to this religious system so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. And the illustration Paul is giving here is that that, if you, and he talks really about it as a miserable marriage. He says at one time, speaks of himself, I was married to the religious system. I was married to the law, and the law was holy and pure and just. You know, imagine that, being married to someone who is perfect. And Paul says the religious system was perfect. There was only one problem with it. I couldn't live up to it, and it didn't help me. Uh, the, the law says, don't do this. The law says, do this. That's what religious systems 
do even today. And, and, and Paul says, I was so miserable because I had every intention to do right. And even though I just intended to do right, I found myself doing wrong. And then he says, the things I didn't want to do, I did. And the things I, 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 I wanted to do, I found myself not being able to do that. He says, well, what's the answer? What's the answer? Some people say, well, was, was Paul describing himself as he was a believer in Christ? Or, or was he describing it? That, that's not really the issue. He's describing himself as being under a religious system. You can belong to a church. You can belong to a, 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 the Christian religion, if you wish. And, and you're still under this idea that I must live up to a standard in order for me to be acceptable uh, to God. And so here, Paul says, the answer to this carnal mindset is to see what happened at the death of Christ. There was a double death, if you wish. When Jesus went to the cross, we died with him. So he said, Paul says, you died. You died to the old husband. And now you are risen with Christ to be married to another. So, so, so we died to ourselves, our sins, everything was buried, put away. But also the religious system with his handwritings of requirements. That's how Paul says it in the book of Colossians. It was nailed to the cross. And so what does it mean to be carnally minded? It means to still live in this, you know, am I good enough? Do I measure up? You still kind of have your car parked in Romans chapter 7. Oh, I tried so hard, but the things I tried to do, I can't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. You live in that, oh, I'm the most wretched of people, Paul, Paul says. Or you can pull your car out of that parking spot in Romans 7 and you drive over to Romans chapter 8 where it says, I see myself identified in Jesus Christ and there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he said, this is where I'm going to park my car. I'm not going to live in Romans 7 which is the carnal description of the carnal thinking. I'm going to live in Romans chapter 8, which is the spiritual mind, the mind of Christ, which is life. So you realize, I want to live holy. I want to, I want to do what, what, what is good to do and what is righteous to do. But if I fail, I still have a friend. I have an advocate that is closer than a brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he speaks on my behalf. That gives you peace, gives you life. And, 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 and so there's been some kind of bombardment on people's minds. And they say, I, I, don't, I don't see it. I, I, I'm trying so hard. I want to tell you, life for you is in Christ Jesus. It's another kind of mindset, the proud mindset. That means to be arrogant, puffed up, you know, Always thinking you're the greatest and everybody else is a little bit below you. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. That could be one reason. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 12. I say through the grace given to me, to everyone, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is to do with the thinking. How we think, how we construct thoughts. That's what the mind is all about. It's not just a thought coming and going. It's how we construct the thought. Don't think more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. As God has dealt to each person the measure of faith. And so this, 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 this prideful mindset, is, it's, uh, it's always like you got an inside track. 
and need to give your opinion on everything and always feel like, like I, I'm, I'm the good one. I'm the best spouse. I'm the best parent. I'm the best. I, I know how to do everything. You know, that can come into a church. I've seen that affect churches. And it, and it can look really good for a while, like, like our church is the best. We have the greatest insight. We, we're better than other churches. You don't say that openly, but it kind of comes through. And, and you know, that always leads to death and disappointment. It, it's an arrogant mindset. Sometimes you hear it when people are praying. You know, people say, I, I remember one of the ladies, she said, pray for my husband. And I said, all right. Then he said, well, I'll start. And they said, oh, God, you know what a rascal so-and-so is, and, and you know what he has done, and you know he's not reliable. You know, she wasn't praying. She was gossiping to God. That's an arrogant mindset. Paul says, don't be arrogant. Don't be proud like that. Don't be judgmental. Don't be suspicious of everybody else. But rather what he says, Here, here's the proper thinking. Think of yourself and others in terms of that God has given to each person the measure of faith. So you say, I, I don't, you, you know, I'm not proud in myself. I'm not proud of Peter Youngren, but I am proud in Christ. I'm glad that Christ has come to live in me. I'm glad that Christ is getting bigger and bigger inside of me. Oh, that, that's so important. He's, I, I'm growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's something, but that's not being proud in me. I'm just proud in my God that God would be so good. He would give me a measure of faith. You know, throughout my life as a preacher, from time to time, people have been bragging, saying nice things, sometimes in public to me, and sometimes privately, oh, Peter, you're such a man of faith. Such a man of faith. I don't ever say that I'm, I'm a man of faith, but see, people say, oh, you're such a man of faith. As if that was something to brag about. I feel instead I'm weak, but when I'm weak, I'm strong. But I do believe that Jesus gave me a revelation about this that I have the faith of the Son of God. So if I think anything, I never think that Peter Youngren through whatever spiritual exercises worked himself to a place where he has a lot of faith. No, I think that, that God revealed to me that he has given me the measure of faith the same kind of faith that Jesus Christ had. And, and on the basis of that, I can go forward. I can take steps. I don't have to become discouraged and, 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 and downcast and feel like there's no hope even during a time of pandemic. I can say, we're going forward. We're taking steps of faith because God has given me the measure of faith. You think the same way. That's sober thinking. Now, now there's another kind of uh, there's another kind of uh, you know kind of thing we, we don't want to have, which is a childish mindset. <laughs> That's a, what does it mean to have a childish mindset? Well, let me just read it to you here, First Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. So there's nothing wrong. You know, when a child is a child, to be a child. But Paul says, I, 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 when I was a child, then I understood as a, as a child. I thought as a child. I had, I had a mentality as a child. Well, when I became a man, I put away childish things. 
Now, in the scripture, a childish mindset, it's, it's a, a mindset where we are reliant on externals. We, we're trusting external things rather than being mature depending on the inward connection with Jesus Christ, standing strong in Him. You know, there's a difference between being childlike and being childish. To be childlike is to be very trusting. Remember Jesus said, you know, you'll never experience the blessings and the kingdom of God unless you become as a child. You know, a child is very trusting. If, if a parent tells the child on a Saturday, I'm going to take you to the park, and, and the child remembers and trusts that. So don't let your kids down. Or if you ever had to do it, please make a big deal about it and explain to them why. Because kids are naturally that trusting. And that is the, the childlike faith. My God is bigger. My, my God never changes. My God is love. He's life, and, 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 and He loves me with an everlasting love. This is a childlike trust. Now, to be childish is to be kind of someone who is pouting, blaming others. It's kind of a playing in the sandbox mentality, you know. Don't touch my toys. You know, Jesus talked about this. Actually, he was using this as an illustration of the Pharisees in Luke chapter 7, verse 31. He says, this generation... Speaking of the religious leaders, you know, Jesus had a way to really kind of uh, say things that, that hit home. He says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned for you and you didn't weep. He's speaking here about when John the Baptist came, he didn't drink he didn't have any strong drink. He didn't, you know, eat very much. He ate just certain kind of food. And, and what did the Pharisees say? We don't like him. Then Jesus came and he says, when I came, Jesus said, uh, you call me a wine-bibber and a glutton. I was sitting down with sinners. I was sitting down with tax collectors. So, so either which way we play this, Jesus said, you're just like kids that are never contented. It's like can I have this? Can I have that? Have you ever seen how, how kids can act? I, I, I want to have this. And then you give them, now I want to have this. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, you, you know, it, it's okay when you're a child to be like a child. It's okay. It's kind of cute, actually. But when you're 18 or 20 years old, if you still act like a child, there's something wrong. So, so, so in Scripture, being childish is when you're still dependent on all the externals of religion. And you can't really step into the blessing that God has for you because you're so caught up in the externals. You're so awed by the externals. To be mature in Scripture is the person who says, I, I, I'm identified with Christ. I see that Christ is my everything. See, often we think, if our mind isn't renewed, we think, well, the, the mature person is the one who has a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of things. But that's not what the Bible says. That, that's immature, actually. Let me read Galatians 4. The heir, the heir, that's all of us, we are joined us with Christ. As long as he is a child, you're talking about the childish mindset, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, 
He's speaking to the people of Israel. When we were children, we were in bondage. He says, we, we were in this childish bondage. You know, many people still are like that. You know, they had, they had to go through these, all these ceremonial things, all these rituals, all these holy days, all these feasts. Everything had to be kept perfectly. And that'll keep me kind of on the, on the straight and narrow. Some people are still like that. Pastor, can I do this? Pastor, is this sin? Can I do this? What is God going to think if I do this? It's still childish. But here, here Paul says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son to redeem them that were under the law, under the religious system, that we might receive adoption as sons of God. So the childish personality is the one who who is depending on, you know, if, if my pastor doesn't smile at me, if I don't, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? Instead of living of the life that is in you. And so what is the answer to this? The answer is the mind of Christ, to have the mind of Christ. Now, here was a key verse. I, I quoted it in a previous teaching, Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let it happen. Let the, you have the mind of Christ. Let it be in you. Let, let me give to you the kind of the grandfather passage of all passages of Scripture that talk about, uh, uh, you, you know, the, the renewing of the mind. It's, of course, Romans 12, 2. And I promise you, I'm going to give you something, even if you're a specialist on this. You've been studying. You read all the books about the renewing of the mind. Hold on. I'm going to give you something. Here, let, let me read it first. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There you have that famous expression, transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the idea here is, we can be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. That, that word transformed is where we get, uh, it's a Greek word where we get metamorphosis, be, being, being changed like a caterpillar. Uh, it's, it's changed into a butterfly. And, and, and that's why I'm teaching this. There's been a lot of attacks on people's minds. People are feeling sense of hopelessness, feeling like, uh, what's going to happen to my life? I don't know where our society is going. God's answer is transformation by the metamorphosis, by the changing of our mind. Now, I want you, it's going to take me several sessions to, to dig into this, but I want you to just see here how it opens. Here Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. The whole paragraph, I suggest the whole teaching of the renewal of the mind hangs on this. See, many people, they want to go right to, you know, give, give me five, six steps how to, how to renew my mind and how should I do that? How should I think differently? And they have all kinds of exercises, exercise your willpower. You know, count to ten before you speak and, and, and maybe just say something different than you, your spontaneous reaction, all kinds of willpower exercises. And they may work to some degree. Because, you know, there are secular teachers. 
people who don't necessarily believe in Jesus at all, they teach you various mind techniques, various mind renewal techniques, how to think positive, you know, think rich. But I'm not one of those secular teachers. I'm not a, your secular guru. I am a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here Paul says, let me start out by saying this whole thing that I'm about to say, it all is available by the mercies of God. So, so, so even in the church, you know, there can be a teaching about the renewing of the mind that is just kind of the same principles you would get out from a book that you order on Amazon of some secular teacher telling you things. But I, I, it's so important that we understand if we, before we even look at the rest of it, it's all by the mercies of God. Jesus made an interesting statement and it was primarily again to the religious leaders in Matthew 9, 13. He says, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. See, the more we know about God, the more we discover it's not about sacrifice, it's about mercy. Sacrifice has its place. You know, in the early books of the Bible, the books of Moses, it's all about sacrifice, sacrifice. Then we get to the Psalms. And by the time we get to the Psalms, uh, the writers there, like King David, have a, have a greater understanding of God than in earlier times. And he talks constantly about it's not sacrifice. It's mercy. Sometimes we think, you know, it's all about what I can do for God. I want to make a sacrifice. I want to go to church. I want to do this. And I want to give money. And that's great. We need money to take the gospel to the world. You know that. And I'm not ashamed to ask about that. But some people think that's all it's about. It's about what, what can I do for God. But, but, but Jesus is saying, it's not about you go to the temple and you, 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 you kill a dove or you sacrifice a sheep. It's about God's mercy. The whole thing while the blood was shed is not about the shedding of the blood itself. It's about that God wants you to see that he's full of mercy. Oh, this is powerful. You know, God's nature is mercy and love. And we are invited into his family, if you wish. So I say to you as we, uh, we're not just created beings. We're part of God's family. You know, you could create a computer, but you don't adopt the computer into your family, do you? So we're not just created beings, pawns on a chessboard. No, we are invited in God's family. If you wish, we are invited to participate in God's mercy. God's mercy is that Jesus Christ entered creation. God, through Jesus, entered creation to show everyone what mercy looks like, what God looks like. Jesus is called the last Adam, but he reacted very differently from the first Adam who went and hid himself, who didn't believe what God had promised. He said, I can, I'm going to make my own way. Jesus shows us the better way. He says, look at who God is, merciful. So the renewing of the mind. You say, didn't you leave the topic now, Peter? I thought you were teaching on, on the mind of Christ. That's what the whole thing hinges on, by the mercies of God. One more scripture verse, Ephesians 3. That Christ, this is considering God's mercy, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and the length and the depth 
and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is where the renewing of the mind starts. We, we begin to comprehend the incomprehensible. That which is incomprehensible to our intellect, we comprehend it experientially. God loves me. And he says here that you be rooted and grounded in love. Be rooted in this. This is, this is the, the, the fertile soil that you grow in. That I am loved by God. You can be rooted in so many things. Some people are rooted in their favorite preacher. Some people have told me I'm their favorite preacher. I guess I should be flattered, but I'm really not. I kind of, ooh, don't say that. I don't want people to be rooted in our ministry. Be rooted in the love of God. We can be rooted in traditions. We can be rooted in so many things. You, you know, even the, some people say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bible believer. Well, good for you. But the Bible is just a revelation about Jesus Christ. So I'm a Jesus believer. And he shows me that God is love. You know, in other words, how do you think for the first three centuries of the Christian faith when they didn't have a Bible like this? They didn't have all the 66 books together. Do you think that they could move forward? They could grow in the Lord? Yeah, they were rooted in his love. Rooted in his love. And then you're filled with the fullness of God. That includes the mind of Christ.